Well, praise the Lord. I'm so grateful that God has you and me in his arms, in his hands, in his love. God cares for us. You can cast your cares on him because the Lord cares for you. And I know God is working all these things together for our good. I'm going to ask, and I know you have your Bibles. If you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to begin reading verse 25, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. This is the New King James Version. Listen to what God's word says. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loose. Verse 25 says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I want to talk about managing midnight mess. How do we handle this mess even at midnight? And we know what midnight is. Midnight is somewhere after dusk and before dawn. Midnight is right before the darkest of the night. Midnight. Midnight is right between yesterday and tomorrow. Midnight is that in between time, between tomorrow and yesterday. And Freddie Haynes, Freddie Haynes says that that in between time can be a mean time, midnight when things are not clear, when there's no clarity of details at midnight. And all of us must admit that we're living in a mess right now. We're living in a midnight. We're living uh, in the midst of darkness. It, it was at midnight in the Bible days that everything would shut down. Jesus said, we got to do the works of him that sent us wise day because night comes when no one could work. In the Bible days, in the first century, everything shut down in the night. At midnight, everything shut down from the marketplace to the businesses, to the schools, to the temple. It shut down. The synagogues shut down. Buying and selling and trading, it shut down. Social life shut down. Everything was shut down at midnight. And of course, even right now, we're living at midnight. Everything is shutting down from businesses and companies shutting down. Entertainment is shutting down. Restaurants, bars are shutting down. Churches are shutting down. Synagogues are shutting down. This We're living in a time of midnight and it's a mess. It's so messy. We don't even have the clarity on everything that's taking place. We can't see the details clearly of what we need to do and how to do and when to do because it's a dark time. It's a messy time. It's a midnight time. And that's where the apostle Paul and Silas found themselves in Acts chapter 16. But at midnight, Paul and Silas. And I was wondering what led them to this midnight experience. I know in Acts chapter 13, 
leading up to this passage, Paul and Silas, the leaders of the church came and they laid hands on Paul and Silas and they anointed them to go and carry the gospel and to preach God's word and to be missionaries, to go places with Jesus that the gospel had never been taken before. And so they planted churches and they established churches and they uh, were able to find leaders and develop leaders and anoint leaders. And they're doing what God called on them to do. And then when you get to Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are still listening to God and following God. In Acts chapter 16, uh, in verse 6, it says that they tried to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow them to go there. And then in verse 7, it said they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit it. And they refused to go where the Spirit of God would not allow them to go. And then in Acts chapter 16, in verse 9, Paul had a vision of a man appeared to him in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And they were convinced that this is where God wants us to be. Cause that's what vision is. Vision is the revealed knowledge of God. And so they went on over into Macedonia. So here's Paul and Silas. They did not go where the Holy spirit prevented them. And they did go where God told them they're obeying God. They're listening to God. And so when they get over to Macedonia, they go to Philippi, Philippi, is a part of Macedonia. It's, it's, of course, under the rule. It's a Roman uh, colony. It's under the rule of the Romans, but it's in Macedonia. And in Philippi, they come across this. They're, they're preaching and they're teaching Jesus and salvation in his name and, and deliverance can come when you put your faith in Jesus. And there was this young girl who was filled with an evil spirit. And as she's filled with this evil spirit, she's trying to predict the future. And people are making money off her. There are men in that town making money off this girl and her problem. She's filled with an evil spirit. But when she met Paul and Silas, Paul cast that spirit out of her, delivered that girl. That girl was healed. And those men didn't get glad because the girl got delivered. They got mad because the girl got delivered because their money was tied into her. That, that Their economy was tied into that girl. As long as that girl had a problem, they were making a profit. They profited off of her problem. So they, they were more concerned with uh, the things of the world than they were this young woman. They were more concerned with getting more gold than they were this girl. They were more concerned with what they could have than they were this human being. And they were more interested in having than being. They were profiting from her problem. And when Paul solved their problem, they no longer had a profit. And we know how that is. As long as we got a, a problem with drugs, the drug dealer has a profit. As long as we have a problem with alcohol, then the bars and the liquor stores have a profit. As long as we codependent on somebody, we got a problem where they get a profit. And once we get delivered, when our problem is gone, their profit is gone. And those men didn't appreciate that. And they took the apostle Paul and Silas and brought them out in public and had them beaten, brought them up on charges, had them beaten and whipped and brought them up on charges and shamed them publicly and had them thrown into prison. And once they got into the prison, Acts 16 says they weren't just in prison. They were in the inner prison. They were in prison down in this dungeon. And then they had a shackle on their ankle and they were shackled to a wall 
in the inner prison, in the dungeon. And now it's midnight. Now it's dark. And they're in the midst of a mess at midnight. And I submit unto you that they found themselves in this situation because they were listening to God. Here's what I want you to understand. You can get in trouble obeying God. You can get in trouble listening to God. Here they were anointed. They were on their assignment. They didn't go where the spirit told them not to go. They did go where the vision and the revealed knowledge of God told them to go. They were preaching and teaching. They were casting out evil spirits and doing everything God told them to do and still got in trouble obeying God. And I wanted to say that because somebody you think that the trouble you facing and the trials and the tribulation is because you have missed God and missed Jesus. No, sometimes you can obey the Lord and get in trouble. I remember that time Jesus was ministering with his 12 disciples and he told his disciples, he said, listen, he said, we're going to get in this boat and we're going over to the other side. And they got in the boat with Jesus and they went over to the other side and on the way, they ran into a storm. They were in the pathway of obedience and ran into a serious storm because you can get in trouble listening to Jesus. And there they were in that mess, in that darkness, in that midnight, in, in, in that, uh, that scene that's not very clear about what's going to go on in their life. And I rushed through all of that midnight because I wanted to get to how you manage this midnight mess. How do you manage a messy midnight experience? Here's what Paul and Silas did. It said, but at midnight, they began to pray and sing hymns unto the Lord. That's how you handle a midnight experience. We got to learn how to pray. Y'all, when we learn how to pray, that prayer is going to make a difference in our situation. Prayer used to work in the past and prayer still works now. Prayer worked in the first century with Paul and Silas and prayer works in the 21st century with you and I. We have to learn how to pray. I was at a town hall meeting here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we were talking about as a community, uh, young black males who were being gunned down by those who supposed to protect and serve young black males unarmed being gunned down by those who supposed to protect and serve. And so everybody was getting to the mic saying their piece and what we need to do and what the solution is. And then an older lady got up to the mic and said, well, what we need to do, we need to pray. And she said, because when we pray, that's going to make a difference. God's going to honor our prayers and our faith and trust in him. And when that old lady sat down, a young man got up right behind her and said, praying is good, but we need to do something practical. And I don't normally try to take over at these town hall meetings. I like to hear what other people are thinking and saying and where they are, but I couldn't help it. I had to say something when I heard the young man say prayer is all right, but we need to do something practical. I helped that audience to understand prayer is practical. Prayer is practical and pragmatic prayer works. And I know it works because Jesus said, ask, you shall receive, seek, you shall find, knock, and the door will be open unto you. That's, that's practical. That's pragmatic. And then the Bible teaches us that the effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. The effectual, yeah, prayer is effective. Availeth, yes, prayer achieves, prayer accomplishes. Y'all, prayer is practical. It is pragmatic. Prayer does work in our midnight experiences. We need to learn how to pray. Jesus said, 
If you abide in me and my word abide in you, you can ask what you will. It'll be done unto you. That's practical. It'll be done. That's pragmatic. And then, of course, God said this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their evil ways and pray, then I heal for, hear from heaven and heal their land. Healing of the land, that's very practical and pragmatic, but it doesn't happen until you and I pray. Y'all, we got to learn how to pray because prayer is practical and pragmatic. It used to work and prayer still works now. And I know it's pragmatic because my mentor said this, A. Lewis Patterson Jr. says that you're not really praying if you're not willing to be a part of the answer to the prayer. So if I'm really praying for God to move in this crisis, then I need to allow God to use me so he can move in this crisis. That's how I know prayer is practical. Fulton Sheen said he was walking down the street and when Fulton Sheen said he walked down the street, he saw a raindrop and the raindrop was in a gutter and he started having a conversation with the raindrop. He said, raindrop, raindrop, what are you doing in this gutter mixing and mingling with the grit and the grind? Why are you not out watering some farmer's field or uh, not, not out watering some beautiful rose or quenching some young child's thirst? But here you are in the gutter mixing and mingling with the grit and the grind. And then the raindrop responded and said, I, I had no intention of ending up here in the gutter, but when I was released from the heavens, I thought I would end up in a field of some farmer. I thought I would end up watering some beautiful rose. I thought I would quench some young child's thirst, but I got caught in the crosswinds. And those crosswinds led me here in the gutter. But while I've been in this gutter, I haven't been crying, I've been cleaning. While I've been in this gutter, I haven't been wallowing. I've been washing because I know that one day the sun is going to shine again. And when the sun shines again, that raindrop said it's going to pick me up and carry me back up towards the heavens. And the next time I'm released, I may be on that farmer's field watering. I may be able to water that beautiful rose. I may be able to quench that young child's thirst. But if I'm released and I get caught in the crosswinds again and I end up back in the gutter, that you won't hear me crying. You won't hear me complaining. I'll be too busy cleaning. You won't see me wallowing and worrying. I'll be too busy washing. Here's what I'm trying to get across to us. That y'all sometimes we get caught in the crosswinds of life. And we end up in places we never intended. We end up in trials and troubles and crises and difficulties and hardships that we never, and in darkness that we never intended to be in. But this is not the time to cry and complain. This is the time to clean. This is not the time to worry and wallow. Yo, this is the time to wash. This is the time to make ourselves available as we pray to God, which is practical, but make ourselves available so that God can use us even in painful times. Prayer is how you manage a midnight situation. That problem that I had, I just couldn't seem to solve. I prayed and I prayed, but I kept getting deeper involved. Then I turned it over to Jesus. And I stopped worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord and he worked it out. And in your prayer, God will work out that dark situation that you're dealing with. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. They were singing hymns unto the Lord. Yo, they, they weren't just praying. They were praising God even in their pain, even in that prison, even after they've gotten beaten, even after they've been whipped, even after they've been shamed publicly, here they are chained to a wall in an inner 
dungeon of a prison and they're still giving God praise. Some of us act like the only time we can praise God is when everything is going well. But when you read the scriptures, you know, the people of God found themselves in oppression time and time again. Uh, Dr. Frederick Douglass Haynes III, he constantly reminds us of the oppression that the people of God were in in scripture, whether it was Egyptian oppression or Babylonian oppression or Syrian oppression or Persian oppression or Roman oppression. They were in oppression oft times, but they would still make a joyful noise unto the Lord, come before his presence with singing. They would still praise God through their pain. Yes, these are some painful times. There's some pr big problems going on. It's difficult, but you can still sing through your suffering. You can still praise God even in the midst of your persecution. They are praising God even as they're going through everything they're going through because the Bible teaches us that God dwells in the praises of his saints, that God lives in, God remains in the praise. If you want God to show up in your situation, I dare you to give him praise, honor, and glory because God lives in the praises of his saints. And y'all, there is power in praise. If you want the power of God to show up in your midnight, begin to pray. There's power in praise. I learned that in the book of Joshua, when Joshua was leading the, the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. But even though God promised them the land, they still had to fight for it. Y'all, just because God makes you a promise don't mean you're not going to have to fight. And when they went to fight for that land, they came up on a place called Jericho. And the city of Jericho had this protective wall around this huge wall around it. And so Joshua, as led of God, he told the people, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days. On the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times. On that seventh day, they marched around seven times. And then here's what Joshua said to the people. Shout, for the Lord has given us the city. He said, shout, praise God. For past tense, he's given us the city. Y'all, no weapon had been pulled. No, no arrow had been shot. No, no sword had come out. No fight had taken place. And Joshua said, God has already given us the city. We can go on and shout right now. Because Joshua understood that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Be of good cheer. God has already given us the victory. God, Jesus said, I've already overcome the world. The victory is already yours. So we ought to praise God. We ought to shout. We ought to glorify God. We ought to sing even though we're going through some suffering time. Now watch this. They prayed. They praised God. And then right after that, in verse 26, Acts 16, verse 26, suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. They prayed and praised God. And right after that, there was an earthquake. An earthquake? I can't help but believe that they were praying for deliverance, that they were praying for freedom, emancipation and liberation. They were praying, God, get us out of this. And God answered their prayer and watch how God answered their prayer. And God sent an earthquake. Yo, they prayed for freedom and God sent a storm. 
And when that storm hit, when that earthquake came, the doors of the prison were open. The shackles fell off of them. And there they were in freedom. I believe every now and then in your life and in mine that God will send a storm to set us free. Here they are in a, in a bind. They're in a midnight mess. And they prayed. And God sent a natural disaster. And out of that natural disaster came supernatural deliverance. And I want you to understand, many of us before this crisis came, we were praying for deliverance. We were praying for freedom and emancipation and liberation. We were praying that our family members and coworkers and friends and community would be saved and delivered and people who were in bondage would be set free. And then right after we finished praying that, here comes this Christ. And I'm not trying to say that God sent the virus. I, I don't know enough to say that. I'm not saying God sent the virus, but I do know this. He didn't stop the virus. As my friend, Dr. Theron Williams says, that God may not have sent it, but he did sanction it. God either arranged it or he allowed it. And that's right after we pray, God, we need freedom. And God said, I'm going to send a disaster or allow a disaster in order to bring about your deliverance. It was in 2010 when that earthquake hit in Haiti. And that was a devil. You talking about a natural, natural disaster. That earthquake in Haiti, hundreds of thousands of people died. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, ended up being injured. It was it. Haiti was already one of the poorest nations in the world. At that time, it ended up being the poorest nation in the world. That's the kind of impact that earthquake had. I was over there one month after the earthquake hit. I went over with a team of preachers and we were just trying to evaluate the situation, see how we can help. And we still have a presence in Haiti. We still uh, have feeding children over there and blessing schools and, and in empowering farmers and ministries over there. We still support step seminary, which is an undergrad work that uh, educates Christian leaders. And, and we build homes over there and, and, and we, we're still a blessing there. But when that earthquake hit and they drove us around to show us the devastation from that national disaster, they drove us through Port-au-Prince and they drove us by the main prison that was in Haiti. And that main prison at one point had housed 4,000 prisoners. But when the earthquake came, that's 7.5 on the Richter scale. And it shook that prison so much that the doors opened and all 4,000 prisoners left that prison. Because evidently, God has sent a storm to set us free. And maybe that's what's going on now. Maybe what we're dealing with now is that God is trying to get the shackles to fall off, trying to get us out of bondage, trying to give us the freedom that we need so that we can serve him at a high level. God sends storms every now and then, or he permits them in order to set us free. Let me tell you what Manuel Scott Jr. said. Now, those of you who are members of our church, you know I talk about Dr. Manuel Scott Sr. all the time. One of the mentors I use to learn about ministry, well, he has a son, and his son is Manuel Scott Jr. Back in the, in the 80s, Manuel Scott Jr. preached a sermon out of Acts 16. And here's what he called it. Maybe it's an earthquake. And Manuel Scott Jr. says that maybe what we're going through is an earthquake. 
And he says he's from Los Angeles. And so he knows a little bit about earthquakes. And he says that when their earthquakes hit in Los Angeles, they always do at least three things. One, they get everybody's attention. Two, they shake everybody up. And three, there's always a restoration. And you know what? Maybe this is an earthquake. This crisis has certainly got all of our attention. And we've all been shaken up. But Mangus Scott Jr. says, after an earthquake, no matter what crumbles and what falls, there's always restoration. Businesses and corporations and buildings, there's always restoration. Well, Pastor, that sounds good, but where do we see the restoration in Acts chapter 16? Well, the earthquake came, the prison was shaken, doors opened, shackles fell off. When the guard who was guarding Paul and Silas realized that all of that had happened in the dark, he thought Paul and Silas had taken off running like they did in Haiti. But no, they stayed there. But he thought they were gone. And, that, and he was getting ready to kill himself. Here's why the guard was going to kill himself. Because the Romans, the penalty for you being a guard and the people you guard, the prisoners you're guarding, escape, then you have to suffer their penalty. And he thought Paul and Silas had taken off and he didn't want to suffer the penalty they were going through. And so he got ready to kill himself. And when he got ready to kill himself, that's when Paul said, don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't kill yourself in this crisis. Don't you commit suicide in this darkness. Don't you take your own life in this midnight. He said, we're still here. Now, let me tell you what went on after that. Acts chapter 16, verse 30. This is the guard speaking. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Amen. Praise the Lord. You talking about restoration after an earthquake. Maybe that's why God shook it up to get this man saved, to get him uh, to become a believer. What must I do to be saved? And Paul Silas said, I don't care what you've done. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, you shall be saved. And that's my word to somebody today. That through all of this crisis, through all this calamity, through all this catastrophe, maybe it's God trying to get your attention so that you'll be open to receive Jesus as your savior. What must I do to be saved? It doesn't matter what sin you've committed, where you've been. It doesn't matter what mistake you've made, how far you've fallen. I don't care what you've done in your life. When you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you believe on Jesus, you shall be saved and you can be saved right now. And he didn't just say you could be saved. He said, you should be saved, King James Version, and your house. The new King James Version says, and your household. Of course, we know that doesn't mean brick and mortar. It doesn't mean foundation and chandeliers. No, it means that not only has God promised to save you, but God has promised that he would save your family. Yo, Christianity needs to be shared. God didn't just promise to save you, but save your spouse, save your children, save your 
mother and father, your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters. He'll save your friends. He'll save your co-workers. When you begin to share Jesus, Joshua, when he got older, he said, listen, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, me and my household, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And God made that promise to that, that guard. And he, make it that, he makes that promise to you and I. Not just save you, but to save those who get exposed to you. Y'all, Christianity, Christianity is contagious. We ought to have a contagious Christianity. You think about it. If through exposure, your children and your spouse can catch your cold, through your exposure, that your friends and your coworkers can catch your flu. That through your exposure, being around you, being exposed to you, that people can catch your virus. Then how much more exposure to a Christian, to a believer, that people are to be able to catch our Christianity. Y'all, this is not the time when we are talking to our family and friends as we manage this midnight mess, it's not the time to complain and cry and grumble and throw pity parties. It's time to pray. It's time to praise God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's worthy to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he's worthy to be praised. This is the time to open up to the chains that God wants to drop off of you. And this is the time to make our Christianity contagious. During this crisis, people have been very, very open to hear what God says and what the word of God says. I'm preaching now to more people via technology than I've ever preached to through Eastern Star Church ministry. Because in this midnight mess, people want to know, what must I do to be saved? And they're looking for people like you and I who've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal savior to make our Christianity contagious. We got to let people know God still loves you. God has not forsaken you. Yes, our sin has separated us from God, but God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ already died for our sins. And now if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Maybe this is an earthquake. Maybe God's trying to get our attention. Maybe God's trying to shake us up. Maybe God is trying to get us to open up to receive his son so that we can become Christians and our Christianity can become contagious. Paul said to Timothy, the same faith I saw in your grandmother and I saw that faith in your mother. Now I see that faith in you. Our Christianity has got to become contagious. Timothy got Christianity from his mother. His mother got Christianity from his grandmother. And then Timothy was traveling with Paul, exposing people to the truth of God's word and the love of Jesus Christ. That through that contagion, they might become Christians. And I want somebody to understand right now. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life of, for, 
forgiveness of sin. You're not a Christian. I'm going to, I want to be contagious with my Christianity today. I want to share Jesus with you. I'm going to lead you in prayer. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to lead you in prayer to call upon the name of the Lord. And the moment you believe what you're praying at that very moment, you're going to become a Christian. Follow me in prayer. I want you to say it out loud as you repeat after me in prayer. Father, I come right now. I acknowledge my sin. I pray you'll forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I receive Jesus into my heart right now. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.